Heavy Cardboard, Episode 44, Age of Steam. Coming to you from the Colorado Railroad Museum in Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. I'm Amanda. I'm Tony. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com. We love to hear from you guys, so please send us email or follow us on Twitter at heavycardboard. Our Facebook page is Heavy Cardboard. Our Instagram is Heavy Cardboard. And our BGG Guild number is 2044. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. Happy to announce that we're a finalist for the second year in a row for the BGG Golden Geek Award for Woo-hoo. Best Podcast. Yay! Thank you very much, all y'all who voted for us. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> As Tony holds up a, uh, a glass of scotch. Nice. <laughs> Honestly, I'm pretty excited to see a lot of our friends in the newer podcast also named as finalists. Uh, I'm noticing those of us that are newer on the scene also tend to be the ones that are most active on social media. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not, but it's something I noticed. So that was, hmm. thought that was interesting, interesting. and excited. To be a finalist again. Yay. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. We have no chance to win it. Of course not, but it's still awesome. (laughs) Happy to be nominated. I don't know if we have no chance. I'd say low. Okay, a low (laughs) chance. Fair enough. We've got a a Bernie Sanders chance. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) So your son was telling us, uh, Tony, about a, a bit of a surreal moment that happened last week. He went up to the Office Depot up in Brighton, Colorado, which is kind of like a uh, farm community just north of where we live, all of us. And he brought in the U.S. map for SNCF that you designed for HeavyCon and got approval from John Borat, Winsome Games and Queen Games and everything to uh, give it away. So that was cool. So he brought it up there to get it printed. And why don't you take it from there? Well, let's see. Uh, He said when the clerk was uh, opening the file and beginning to print the map, he goes, oh, this is SNCF. And (laughs) Christopher said, uh, yeah, do you know heavy cardboard? And the clerk said, yeah. And I guess, you know, they became instant friends or something. I don't know. I think it's cool that he knew it as SNCF and not Paris Connection. Oh, absolutely. That 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 was kind of a cool aspect of that as well. But yeah, that was just a surreal moment, I guess, when he told that story. That was pretty cool. It's too bad neither of us were there. <laughs> I know, right? I've always said that because I wear my, my heavy cardboard hoodie pretty regularly. And I'm waiting for someone in a non-gaming environment to come up out of the blue and be like, Hey, heavy cardboard. Yeah, I listened to that podcast. You a fan of theirs? You know, whatever. It's never happened. And you say, no, uh, my friend just gave me this. (laughs) (laughs) It's never happened, but I'm waiting for it. But it's got to be in a non-gaming environment for that to happen. Well, a bittersweet night for me recording this episode. It's uh, bitter because it's my last one. It's sweet because it's Age of Steam, wall to wall. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to think about it, actually. Thank you. 
I, uh, I did decide to stay on social media. Oh, my God. Which blew me away. Yeah, but, you know, there there's a lot of good information out there being tweeted around by many folks, uh, present company included. Well, thank you. Thanks. We appreciate that. The pity follows. I'm going to stay on Twitter, at Games if you want to follow me. Yeah, every, like, possible combination of my name <laughs> was, like, taken. <laughs> so. It was funny because you didn't – because the last time we talked, you said, as soon as I'm off the podcast, I'm yeah. I'm uninstalling Twitter. I want nothing to do with it. So yeah. that's the last thing I heard. And then yesterday morning, I got followed by this this egg, this, this new user that said, A Fryer Games. And my first thought was, cool, I'm glad he's staying on Twitter. My yeah. second thought was – Huh, I guess he's getting the branding ready for when he designs games, huh? Uh, I just wanted to be a friar, and and I didn't want it to be a mile long. And we appreciate that when we tag you. Thank you. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of wingnuts out there on Twitter, and uh, so I'll I'll be I'll be steering clear. Plus, you know, I don't uh, I don't get involved in certain conversations. I'm learning not to. <laughs> Not worth the effort. I totally agree. So speaking of retirement, Omaha, Peyton Manning hung it up. So thanks, Peyton. Although you really didn't do much. He didn't lose it. Well, he didn't screw it up. That's great. There you right. go. That's plenty. But speaking of screw it up, uh, Elway really butchered the whole quarterback situation here, buddy. Boy, did he. And the running back situation. Yeah, at least we kept him. Yeah, kept him. Had to the money. match the offer sheet, but... There's no off-season for football pain. <laughs> yeah, but I also said you're not allowed to complain for a minimum of five years. You guys just won the Super Bowl. I don't want to hear it. Woo-hoo. Oh, so I guess um, as of tomorrow, this podcast becomes a Dallas Cowboy fan it podcast does. with a wow. side of Denver Broncos. Click unfollow. <gasps> <laughs> Yeah, I was, that's what I was thinking was, like, you Cowboys fans, we just hurt all year long, even during the season. So, welcome to our pain. Yep, because Jerry Jones is the owner. Yep. But let's face it, who cares? It's March. You know what March means? Baseball. For the first time in history, Oregon Ducks are a number one seed going into March Madness. What? We were so excited. We just started screaming. <laughs> Whenever it came on the screen that they were the number one seed in the West, it was awesome. I expected to be a number two seed, so getting to number one, I was like, yeah! It's hard to think of Oregon as a basketball powerhouse. Yeah, what? I now have purple hair. It looks black, unless the light hits it. Until yep. you get up on I dig it, it. it's purple. Thanks. And speaking of hair, Edward went and got his all shaved off for the St. Baldrick's cancer, children's cancer charity last weekend. So he is bald as a cue ball and has no facial hair whatsoever. He does have eyebrows. Yes. I do. Which thankfully the hair is growing back on his face. Um, I'm now doing my best uh, Telly Savalas impression. Love you, baby. Just need to get you a cigar. You'll be good to go. I, dude, I've been called so many names at work. Some Some appropriate for radio, others not so much, but... The way I see it is, screw it. It was for charity. It's for a good cause. But at the same time, this is the last time that I will not have a chin curtain. (laughs) Wow. And I decided that next year, um, well, I guess starting this year, the last time I get my hair cut will be in November. And then I will also get my head shaved in March at the St. Baldrick's head shaving event. Do they take purple hair? They do. They wow. just throw it away. They don't donate it or anything. 
So it doesn't matter what color hair you have. <laughs> I'm totally supportive of that, but I, I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous about seeing Amanda with a bald head. I'll wear scarves. It'll be fine. I'm excited. Uh, I'm I'm totally supportive of that because it's for an awesome cause. And you know what? More power to you. Thanks. How long have we been on Weight Watchers now? It's been, what, two months? Six weeks? I'm 12 pounds down and you are Which 16. Which is awesome. Yeah, wow. 16.2. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, fine then. I am 12.6 if we're doing that. That's almost 13. Absolutely. 12.6. <laughs> and we're just so, trucking yeah. along and doing really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at how well it's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really am for both of us. Yep. Uh, I've noticed I'm, I'm down a pant size. Oh, and kind of going back to the whole uh, St. Baldrick's thing, I originally, when I signed up, I said, yeah, I'll take a 2XL size shirt. And the lady, when I told her that, she looked at me like I had three heads. And she's like, you sure? And I was like, that's what I wear. But I've been on, on Weight Watchers for a couple of months now. And she said, gear. And she's like, no, this is too big. She went and got an extra large. And I had on a, uh, a sleeveless uh, t-shirt underneath as a second shirt. So I took off my, my outer shirt and put that on and fit perfectly fine so i'm down a pant size and i'm down a shirt size which is hella exciting Yay. let me tell you so proud of you and i of you yeah it's it's really cool i'm happy with the way i feel i'm happy with starting to be happy with the way i look and yay so we hosted a ask me anything an ama on reddit last week and i gotta say it went amazingly well so thank you to everybody uh, for all the awesome responses and questions and support, that was yes, thank you. It was really, really nice. It was it was a lot of fun too. And dude, my hands hurt so bad that night because we had like a hundred different questions and and all that. So that was yeah, that was really cool. Our Patreon is doing extremely well. Thank you, everyone. We've changed up the next goal with uh, Mister A Fryer Games uh, <laughs> approval. <laughs> So we're going to bring him back onto the show four times a year versus the one or so times that were, that was originally planned. And we also added a stupid high level for folks to submit their own recorded reviews for the show. Let us know what else you all want to see for the levels. And once we hit that goal, Tony starts coming back onto the show once a quarter. Yay! Right on. So I think we have a total of about nine t-shirts left of our first design. So I would recommend getting them before they go out of print, folks. We have women's sizes too, guys. Or gals, as it were. Well, yeah, everybody's a guy. Speaking of t-shirts, we've had a few submissions so far for our design a t-shirt for heavy cardboard idea. And all of them, I got to say, are pretty clever. Some maybe not so practical for t-shirt printing, but (laughs) all are good. And keep them coming. The submissions are still open for another six weeks or so. Contest at heavycardboard.com. Oh, and speaking of contests, don't we have something for Three Kingdoms Redux? Since Tony put the unreasonable request to have a giveaway every episode, I thought we'd at least have a good one for his last official show as part of the show. Why, thank you. The awesome designers, publishers, and friends of ours, Yowster and Christina from Starting Player, they have very graciously donated a copy of Three Kingdoms Redux to give away to somebody. But... We're going to make y'all work a little for this. We made, we designed a puzzle for y'all to solve. You need to go to heavycardboard.com forward slash TKR contest 
and follow the directions. We will randomly pick a winner from all those that successfully complete the puzzle two episodes from now. So episode 46 in mid-April. Have fun. Good luck. If you were at BGGCon last year, there's no doubt that you noticed the gaming tables up at the front of the main gaming hall. Some of you may have even had the opportunity to play on one of the tables. I was, and after playing on one, I had a very hard time going back to a normal table. Everything from the convenient cup holders to how easily and comfortably my arms rested on the rail made me want my own. Those tables were from BoardGameTables.com. The company is run by a friend of the show, Chad Deshawn. Do us a favor and head on over to BoardGameTables.com and take a look at all of the ways you can customize your own gaming table, from the size, type of wood, all the way down to how many cup holders you want. African mahogany, Carrington stain, navy top, four slide-out cup holders. That's my dream gaming table. What's yours? You don't need a gaming table, but wouldn't it be fun to have your own? Check out BoardGameTables.com to begin creating your own table and let them know Heavy Cardboard sent you. All right, as far as acquired, I got nothing. Well, I mean, some of the sponsors of HeavyCon have sent their games and we got those, but there's nothing for us. So, Tony, do you have anything? Well, uh, you're about to acquire something. Ooh, Ooh, I like where this is going. I actually think I know what it is because of your tweet last night. <laughs> no, well, no, it's 18FR. Oh, I did not know that. It's an All 1830 right. variant made in 1987, then updated by O&O Games in 1997. But it's out there for P&P, and it's based on 1830, which is an awesome game. I know you're not a fan of the map, so I'd really, really want to find an 1830 clone that you just dig the crap out of and that maybe this is one because it's got it's got ports it's got an extended tile set and, and it's got some very strange city tiles too Ooh, uh, sign me up but there are two that i do enjoy 1889 and 1857 are both 1830 clones on on different maps uh the only thing i i just don't like how restrictive and how i guess wrote the tile placement aspect becomes in 1830, and I, I, I'm just not a fan of that. And so, yeah, that's awesome, dude. I'm super excited. Thank you. I acquired Haru Ichiban, which is a lovely two-player Connect Four game by Bruno Catala. And uh, I got I got to tell you what, um, yeah, it's there's a lot more going on than meets the eye in this game. It's uh, it's very very cool. And here's a good reason to stay on Twitter. Thanks to Runar Dankel. He saw my tweet about it, and he's like, oh, did you know there's a deluxe wooden edition? I'm like, what? And it it is wicked. I saw I saw that, that you know, the tweeting going back and forth between the two of you, and I thought, oh, wow, that does look pretty cool. It Something does. I would have never <laughs> known about either. No. Um, I can't believe my luck on this one, guys. I got a copy of Unconditional Surrender World War II in Europe. Brand new in shrink for $41.06 tax included. Which was, that's a hell of a yes. get. Our local F-O-L-G-S. <laughs> Fogels. Uh, time well spent. who's sadly going out of business in about uh, two weeks. I, I, w- I checked his site to just like one morning just to see if he put up his announcement of his last day. And he had all these new games. And I'm like, unconditional surrender. WTF? Click. Buy. Add to cart. Blah, blah, blah. So, so I went away. now. Ask questions later. Exactly. I went over there and picked it up. I'm like, Dave, where did you find this? And he goes, well, I'm closing. And I had to do a physical inventory. And I found it like in the corner under some stuff. 
Like awesome. <laughs> that explains how the splatter guys always find these just random copies of things that were thought to be long out of print, and all of a sudden, and GMT has the same thing to where they're like, oh. Wow, we didn't know we had these dozen copies of this left. Yeah, or there's whatever. this box that was labeled closet, and oh my gosh, it has. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> it has a bunch of copies of bus in it. Who knew? Let me just misplace hundreds of dollars. What? Yes. <laughs> uh, 1865 Sardinia, the thing that interests me and maybe all of us are the tracking of revenue through cubes. My thought is um, that it's going to be good for noobs to do that. So, Robin said she might learn this with me, which I was really happy about. And That's exciting. And it has the dragons, which are non-player investors. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be any good or not, but whatever. Interesting. Anything with dragons, I'm good for. <laughs> yes. Sansusi. I don't know how to say that, but Sansusi. It's uh, some kind of Prussian gardens from uh, Frederick's time. But um, it's, a, it's a Mikael Kiesling tile-laying game, and... Uh, when I when I told I was telling Robin about Dave announcing his last date, she's like, "Well, is there anything I might like there?" So we went a browsing, and uh, and that was there. So we got that for her. Now, when you said you went a browsing, like physically in the plate in the warehouse? No, just on their online? site, just online. Yeah. And then um, so I said, "Well, you know, if you're getting something, uh, what about me?" Yeah, because you never ever get games. I'm, I totally understand I'm where you're coming from. You know, I, I've been wanting to try a rare. Crayon Rail game, so I brought I bought British Rails. Nice, because we have Empire Rails and the unpronounceable. Yeah, the one that starts with, it starts with like a T or something, and it's about seventeen characters long. Whoa, <laughs> whatever. But that's also based on a Crayon Rail. So yeah, I so we need to try those sometime. I, I got it real cheap. I'm not expecting a lot. Um, Robin likes pick them deliver when we're talking about it. I showed her some stuff. She said she'd try it, but we'll see. So uh, hunting and anticipating. I am. I just have anticipation. Yeah, same here. You know, you, me, and Chad have a email into Japan for copies of 1891, 18SY, 18NK, and 18SS. So that'll be kind of cool. These games are so expensive, man. Three thousand yen. Whew, man, it's like twenty six bucks. <laughs> yeah, which is incredible. I know. And then, and then you, you do have to point out that these are 18XX. Kits. Yeah, they really are. But, you know, I'm a and -er, so I'm not scared. Which, uh, the nice thing, even though you're leaving the show, it's not like you're dying. Right. So I can be like, hey, Tony, <laughs> well, look a brother up. Yeah, so uh, Chad and I were talking about that the other night when he stayed here. And we're just going to have to, we're going to do like a day at his house where we just pimp out all three of our copies. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Just tell me how much and I'm in. And then the last thing I'm anticipating is I'm anticipating getting my shipping notice that the Tokaido Collector's Edition with the painted minis will finally be showing up at my doorstep after like two freaking years. Well, I've never even played that game, so I would love to play this Collector's Edition. Oh, it's the minis are so pretty. Awesome. You guys have fun. <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. You know, yeah, I, we're good. Yeah. I'll go over there and you know drink some beer and we'll play Tokaido. It's very relaxing, very peaceful, very beautiful game. Oh, it is beautiful. Uh, I just have heard that the gameplay is... Moving on. So the anticipating for me, y'all know that I hardly back anything on Kickstarter and almost never promote anything on Kickstarter. However, this month may be an exception as the reprint of Martin Wallace's The Princes of the Renaissance is supposed to hit Kickstarter later this month. 
It's being republished by Mercury Games, and, well, frankly, I trust them. Keep an eye out for it, and I'm sure we'll be announcing uh, that on Twitter, as well as Mercury Games announcing it on, on the game page on BGG and Twitter and everything else. But even though we do have the original, I'm very much excited to get my hands on the reprint. So keep an eye out for that. And not to take any steam away from Amanda, but as far as anticipating, I'm more anticipating playing some of the games that we actually have. And those include, in no particular order, Sekigahara, Small City, Trakirian, and Wildcatters. Even though we've played one of those, which is Wildcatters, I'm really excited to get all four of those to the table soon. Well, speaking of getting things to the table, that sounds great. But (laughs) (laughs) the ones that I'm looking forward to playing are actually quite a few lower player count games. Um, As I've mentioned before, I really want to get Churchill to the table. And with that, that's going to be kind of hard since it's three. But we're going to try and see if we can get that done. Three player games specific can be a little hard Mm -hmm. on game day. Uh, I was listening to the uh, the gaming pit. Uh, podcast uh, and they did their favorite three player games and none of them were three player centric they were all hey these play best at three players because they said how often do I play a three player game or how often do you invite someone over for a three player game night they said not often because if one person busts out that's called a date night So, uh, and I got a kick out of that. But yeah, I absolutely, we were able to get Three Kingdoms Redux played multiple times with three of us. We should be able to do that for Churchill and games like Triumph and Tragedy as well. Yeah, I mean, as long as the count is is good, then, you know, we could always do a four-player game and a three-player game of Churchill or whatever on game day. Well, invite me over for Triumph and Tragedy. Oh, yeah. Done. Well, it's not like you're not coming to game days anyways, Hush. Well, I know, but like, you know, Robin won't play it, so it's easy to get a third for that kind of game. On, oh, on, you mean on a non-game on a, day? On a school night or something. Oh, okay. oh rock Absolutely. on. And then um, a couple of the games that I'm looking forward to playing, just me and Edward, are Antiquity. I want to get that done two-player, and I also want to get Through the Ages done two-player. I played it three and four. Four takes absolutely a lifetime. And three was good. Three was perfect. We played that actually on Saturday, but I really want to get it played two player just to see how different it plays because I think that don't you you wipe more cards and everything after each turn, don't you? That and there's no packs because well, obviously, obviously it would only be with one person and there's no wars. But other than that, it's the same game and everything I've read, two player is phenomenal. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it. A lot. And, and same with go, uh, two-player Antiquity yeah, Matt, is supposed to Matt be Matt and Dana played two-player Antiquity and, and really loved it. Speaking of Matt and Dana, they came over on Friday. We met up at our pl- our favorite pho place after Edward got his head shaved. And we had some pho and then came back to the house and started up Antiquity. They had never played it before, so we had to do a trial run. And when, after we all broke the game, we started over. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it, it did not go well, but no. lessons were learned. Yes. And uh, we played until about 10.30, and then we just were all done. So we finished it back up as much as we could Saturday morning, but we weren't able to completely get the game finished. It would probably would have taken us another hour at least, and Edward needed to get started on cooking for game day. So we, we packed it all up, but I just absolutely adore this game. I'm terrible at it, but I adore it. We got, it just, it, that whetted my appetite and got me wanting to play 
much more antiquity. If you're terrible at it, what am I? Because I've never won it. You, you've beaten me every time. Well, it, that doesn't... Just because I got I picked the right saint doesn't mean that it's, you know... <laughs> you're just better at the game than I am, frankly. Oh, well, I don't know about all that. I sure do have a whole lot of pollution whenever I play the game. My area just turns red. So we obviously been playing a lot of Age of Steam, lots of different maps... That's basically all we were playing. And then I kind of put my foot down on Saturday and was like, guys, we need to play something else. I want to play something else. So me, Edward, and Matt played through the ages. We played it with wars, but funnily enough, we never actually got any wars. And um, <laughs> they were somehow lumped all together and none of us ever drew it. It was weird. but Oh, I drew it. Oh, right you do it right the at the very turn, end. Yeah. I drew three wars. Yeah. And I'm like, really? <laughs> he, he couldn't because do anything. I- I was dominating when it came to military strength, and I was just waiting for the chance to be able to catch up. And I got it the turn before the last turn, which is one turn too late because it wouldn't trigger by then. So I couldn't do anything about it and finished a uh, about, I don't know, seven or eight points behind both you and Matt. And Matt squeaked out a win by one point over you. I'll get him. Just give me some time. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and then we also played Cavum, and I love, 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 love this game. We played it with four, and it was just, it was really, really great. It was trackling or finding. There's recipes to fulfill, which always makes me happy, and we will be playing this a lot more. The art is just absolutely gorgeous, and even the punch boards are pretty. I didn't want to throw them away. <laughs> they have such pretty art on them. What's the gig uh, with the explosions? I hear it like resets the map. Some. Some people like that. Some people don't like that. Is it a problem or is it cool? I thought it was cool. I I enjoyed it because what it does is any uh, exposed explosions at the end of the turn after everyone has made their deliveries and discovered ore and all that stuff, uh, the explosions trigger and it blows up that tile as well as every tile surrounding it that isn't a mine or a... uh, or a town, some or one that doesn't have a station on it, so you can lock down certain tiles gotcha. if you wish. But then you have to reconnect or something. Exactly, you not only have to reconnect, or it gives you the opportunity to go in a different direction. And it really had a bit of an age of steam feel in the track mm-hmm. lane and all of that, and the the stationing of of, of basically tokening out locations. And pass, so it almost had that that eighteen XX feel in that respect only. Sure, I sure. mean, um, but I and it had a reverse auction that we just talked about last last episode, yeah. and it had one. And I was like, oh, I wish we'd played this before the episode. We could have talked about that. But no, it was. I I didn't have really any expectations. I just I thought it'd be okay, and it was far better than I expected. So I really enjoyed that. So for me, um, played everything that you mentioned. The only other two things are prototype that we're making of the Age of Steam Cuba map that Tony designed and I'm helped developing, uh, helped to develop. Is it's coming together? It's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it really, really is. digging some of the stuff that we're map. doing with that. And the last thing is Tim Fowers' prototype of the follow-up for Burgle Brothers, a super fast ten-minute two-player deduction game that's really quite clever after i tweeted out a picture he's like oh i have some special power cards i I wanted to give you and let you test that if you're interested and i was like sure next time we play it so looks like it'll it'll do be a fun uh 
variable into the game that you can choose to use or not. So, yeah, it was fine. But that's it. How about you, T? Uh, well, obviously, Age of Steam, uh, unlike Amanda. You don't say. I'm not done playing it, though. Oh, I'm not done. I just was tired of it. Oh, yeah, I, I can understand that. But, no, it's uh, – I don't want to say too much because, you know, give away my uh, summary, I guess. But uh, I've, I've been enjoying the hell out of it. And, uh, yeah, but after Cuba, I have uh, three more map ideas, two of which are already I'm working on. <laughs> Good grief, man. Well, and this is part of the reason you're stepping away from the show, so you can dedicate time to that, right? That's right, man. That's right. Um, let's see. We played some of the new games we got. San Susi played that with Robin. It is uh, very, very light. Not many decisions, very fast. Um, I find it relaxing, pleasurable, I guess, maybe a, would be a good word. Um, the, dude, the tiles are like an eighth of an inch thick. They're like, they're like thicker than a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're really awesome. I, I also did play British Rails, my first crayon game. And? And my last crayon game. Just get, oh. that, get that crap out of here, man. It's just, it's dated for me. Um, just boring. We set it up, learned it, explained it, bored us. We only several turns in, we called the game, man. The, the random events, I knew that was there, right? Whatever, don't care. I want to experience the game system. Um, but, you know, they're just stupid stuff like, oh, you can't go within three inches of the coast. Uh, okay. Or three hexes of the coast, rather. But, dude, duller than dull. Moving the train, slow. I much prefer the abstraction of 18xx, just... You know, the, the calculation of revenues that way, it's, I mean, it, in concept, it's pretty cool because I have these contract cards and I got to pick up stuff over here and deliver it over there, but it takes forever to deliver any, oh my God, boring. So that's your, your uh, after the flood, eh? Oh, dude, yeah. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants British Rails really cheap, call me. I'll, I'll tape a 20 to the box. Played 1861. It was kind of an impromptu late Saturday game, which I was really shocked to get an 18xx in. But uh, especially because it started about four o'clock. I know. I was like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." Yeah, that hap- that happened when Amanda was like, "Okay, guys, I don't want to get burnt out on ages theme. Let's play something else." So we were. Somebody said through the ages, and I was like, "I'm in." And then the other table was like, "I'll play ages theme or an 18xx." <laughs> Oh. And Tony's like, Hey, it was uh, Dana's first Mm -hmm. 18xx game. uh, It was, and she liked it. Yeah, she did pretty good, too. So it was very cool. Played Johari. I'm excited to hear that we have another player for 18xx. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Just as uh, a whole for the group. Dana's a very smart player of games in general, too. So I think she's going to develop into someone that... Uh, you don't want to play 18xx games with. She's developing into a person you just you you know you're going to lose when you play with Dana. <laughs> Once she knows the game, you're screwed. Screwed and tattooed. Yes. I noticed that's a that's a common theme with the women in our group, Robin, <laughs> Amanda, Dana. Once they once they get it, good luck. We need a men only group. <laughs> no girls Great. allowed. Here we go. We played Johari, which is a dry, odd Kind of cool little game of collecting gems. And you know how to sell a game. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what? Dry has its own charms. and uh, But this one, however, doesn't, doesn't really. <laughs> so probably not staying in the collection. Um, we played Trajan, always a favorite at my house. This It, it could have been Hold the on, worst. Hold just, on, not just Trajan, dude, but the insert. <laughs> That's too. right. The Meeple Realty insert. But it, dude, it, might, it must have been my worst game of Trajan ever. 
Oh God! And I've and I've seen you play that game. Oh. That's saying something. Cacao. We've we've played a lot of Cacao. It's a very clever tile laying game. It it is quite light, but um, the simple tile laying rules really deliver some pretty deep play for the game space that that game is actually. And um, Robin's got all, I got her all the promo tiles and all that crap and everything, and it's awesome. We're looking forward to Chocolatel, which comes out in Europe at the end of this month. And uh, it's apparently modular, but the thing we're interested in is a module where you can turn your cacao into chocolate and sell the chocolate for even more money. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. Because that would be weird to have a game about cacao, which is chocolate without chocolate. Raw chocolate. Well, you know. Played St. Petersburg, another favorite. I played it with two sharks, my wife and banker Dave. Uh, <laughs> you, you finished fourth? I got it handed to me. Uh, I didn't do bad, but... They did way better. <laughs> so as I said, you I, finished fourth. I need to check Robin. I think she's game. got like a green card printing press under the table or something. Because before you know it, she's getting like, you know, 20 bucks a turn. You know, I was like, Jesus. And you're like six. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Fleet played Fleet. Tony KR brought his copy. I used to have a copy. Played it one time. Wasn't really enthused. Got rid of it. Uh, Tony wanted to play it. I said, sure, let's do it. I enjoyed it a whole lot more than I did in that first play. I think it's worth playing once in a while. It's not a great game. There's a lot of randomness and stuff like that. I, I'd happily play it once in a while, though. We played it a long time ago, and we were yeah. on it. And Amanda actually wanted to get rid of our copy. And I was like, you know, let's sit on it for a little bit, and maybe we'll come back to it. Now that it's been a couple years, I'm I'm of the same mind that, okay, yeah, I, I want to try this again now that we're, I guess, more experienced gamers and really want to see... If it's worth keeping at this point. Yeah, because it's been a long time since we played that game. Last thing on my list is Alhambra. Played that with uh, Banker Dave and Tony KR and Robin. It was Dave and Tony's first play. I think I beat Tony, but not Dave. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. Robin won that one. I have been waiting a long time. To talk about Age of Steam. I think this was an appropriate sail off into the sunset game. So I'm glad glad we're getting a chance to do this now. Before we do, let's... Hey, Paul Chat, thanks, man, for uh, the regimen that you put us through of all the different maps. Absolutely. And You're an awesome guy. It was good stuff. And, and damn you for the addiction. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he's ruining my private time. I'm thinking about maps, which ones I want to make, which ones I want to buy. <sighs> yeah, but you're not the one who's out almost $900 in maps. <laughs> I, I might be that way just one at a time <laughs> in a couple of years. <laughs> you just ripped the Band-Aid off. <laughs> Age of Steam is a pick-up-and-deliver auction, track lane, austere economic game, but it's so much more than the sum of its parts. There exists a series of games designed by Martin Wallace called the Early Railways series that center around bidding for the right to build track and delivering goods to various cities using the built track. What started out as a design called Brummy Rails by Martin Wallace was developed by Winsome Games into what we now know as Age of Steam. Before we get rolling, I want to mention that in preparation for this review, I reached out to a few folks that have contributed to Age of Steam in some form or fashion and asked their input. Went into everything from designing and or developing the game itself to designing expansion maps or, you know, just being an Age of Steam addict. And what is the draw of Age of Steam? I'm happy to say that Martin Wallace, John Bohr, Ted Osbach, Albin Viard, 
Kevin McCurdy, and Chad Cook all took the time to respond and subsequently lent a hand in our review. Martin Wallace was very gracious in his response, and while he didn't want to talk much about Aegis theme specifically, he said he'd make himself available to talk about any of his other designs in the future. So you know an interview with Martin's planned. John Bohr of Winsome Games added a few pieces, although he didn't want to discuss the, the game too much as well, which is kind of understandable given... The kerfuffle back in 2006. Ted Allspack, the designer of a plethora of Age of Steam maps, also was quite gracious in his response, but, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was too busy designing games that actually make money. I'm kidding, obviously, but he didn't have much time to add anything. However, he was able to provide a few nuggets here or there for us later on. Next up, Albin Viard wrote copious amounts on each of his map designs, as well as, well, what inspires him to make so many maps year after year. Lastly, both Kevin and Chad are friends of ours, and they have a passion for Age of Steam that, honestly, I don't think is surpassed by many other folks in this hobby. Not to mention that they design maps, develop maps, and are true Aegis theme junkies. They're pretty much directly responsible for our gaming group getting bitten by the Aegis theme bug. They were also very giving of their time and input for the review. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy our dissection of Aegis theme. Aegis theme, originally published in 2002, designed by Martin Wallace. The artists are Sean Brown, Peter Dennis, and Paul Niemeyer. Published originally by Winsome Games, also Warfrog Games and Eagle Griffin Games. Player count. Well, this is a tricky one. It plays, well, one to eight players, depending on which map. Normally, I'd say fair ballpark's about 120 minutes, depending on player count. Availability and costs. So the third edition, which is the Eagle Griffin Games version, is readily available in the secondhand market on BGG Marketplace for about $25, $35. That's the one with the plastic trains. More on those later. The second edition, which uses wooden discs instead of plastic trains, is the edition that our group pretty much universally has. I think, what, we have four copies, I think, within the group? That's a bit more scarce, but it pops up fairly often on the resale market. That one has a publication date of 2004 and it sells for about 40 or 50 bucks a copy so what is age of steam in a basic game of age of steam players take on the role as the head of a 19th century railroad company over the course of eight or so rounds depending on player count players will follow the same procedure each round with the ultimate goal being to have earned the most points at the end of the game players begin the game with ten dollars each a handful of track markers and with a board full of unbuilt hexes with a handful of colored cities that are there to receive deliveries of the goods cubes already on the board. Each round, the players go through the steps of issuing shares, which give players money to spend in the following auction, as well as building track, bidding on the auction for turn order, selecting special powers, building track, and finally shipping goods. Players build up to three hexes of track with the cost varying by terrain type and track complexity, followed by two rounds of shipping a single goods cube. Both of those steps are done in player order with a couple of the special powers changing the order. Each link of track used in the transporting of a goods cube increases the owner of that link, their income, by $1. A couple of key rules about transporting cubes, though. They must stop at the first city of a matching color that they encounter, and they can never hit the same city more than once. Players start the game with a one link level locomotive and will spend the game upgrading it to a maximum of six 
by either taking the locomotive's special power or by giving up one of their two precious shipping actions in a turn to take an upgrade. The main way players get money is through issuing shares at the beginning of each turn. Each share issued grants the player five bucks, but they're going to have to pay a dollar interest for each share at the end of every round, and players are limited to a maximum of 15 shares to be issued total every game, which, by the way, includes the two compulsory shares each player has to take at the beginning of the game. That's where the 10 bucks of starting money comes from. On top of the dollar interest per share, player income drops $2 per full $10 of income every round, which kind of simulates company growth as it has more overhead and becomes less efficient. At the end of the final round, players receive three points for every dollar on the income track, minus the number of shares issued, and a point per track segment in any of the completed links. Whomever ends up highest on the income track at this point is declared the winner. Oh, the kicker, you ask? For as hard as you work to earn money throughout the entire game, money ain't worth squat. It was simply a tool. So let's take a look at the scalability. Let's welcome everybody back to the show. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Tony. Hi. So let's talk scalability here for a minute. So start with players and player counts that we've experienced. I have over a dozen plays with counts ranging two to five players. I have um, 11 times two players and most with six. Uh, I'm two to six players and I wrote down nine. I'm not sure, but... uh, Yeah, you're a weirdo and don't track your play. Yeah, yeah. So as far as scalability, I... The game scales extremely well as long as you match the player yes. count to the correct map. Yes. But we'll get more into that later. Agreed. So let's talk components and graphic design. Amanda, you want to start sure. there? Sure. So the third edition by Eagle Griffin has little plastic trains that are used to signify where you have track ownership. In my opinion, those were good in thought, but they were absolutely horrible in execution because it becomes very difficult to actually see what's going on on the board once it gets all full of those tiny little trains. The older versions have wooden discs to signify ownership, and I feel that is much, much better because it doesn't basically take up the entire hex like the trains do. I like, I much prefer to have just wooden discs in your color instead of the trains. I like the train idea. It was, it was a good idea, but it didn't work out. It was good in theory, but not in execution. What do you think about the difference in the tiles between second and third, the track tiles themselves? I like the third better. They're prettier. prettier. They're, yeah. they're more, they're more ornate, I think is the, the right word, right? The, you know, but with playing a game like Age of Steam, you're more concerned about where you're laying the tiles and hexes you're not concerned about what they look like it's like an x it's like an 18xx game you care more about what you're doing not what how pretty everything is and that's why the second edition is what everybody in our group Mm -hmm. has because it has the wooden discs which okay they're not as thematic as the plastic trains i get that but it just clutters the board unnecessarily and again we are always preaching function over form therefore the discs just work better they don't clutter as much and it makes tracing your routes so much easier yeah because you can actually see where you are instead of trying to figure out oh do i have is that one of my trains in there mixed with everybody else's it's it just it's just easier to see with the discs well, you know, also, the discs are multi-purpose. Some maps you use disc for track, you use disc to track different things. It's mm-hmm. hard to do that with a train. Yeah, you can't stack the trains. And on top of that, one of the designs by Alvin Viard, actually, he designed uh, a game that has skyscrapers. So you have to stack the discs 
on the map to signify height and you can't do that That's with trains cool. also. So the basic action tables and the income tables are black and white and honestly they're they're a little small uh, and a little hard to see. And there are redesigns on BGG and I know that uh, Chad has made some pretty spiffy ones and printed those out. So all of our copies are in color yeah. and they're kind of pimped out mm-hmm. a little bit. So that's something also to be aware of. Some of the maps. Uh, now, interspersed throughout this review, I suppose we should mention that there's there's a plethora of F-A. expansion maps. Right? And so we're not going to be specifically talking basic game. So some of these maps, they're simple, thin cardstock. And so if you're going to be playing on, on some of those expansion maps, plexiglass if not mandatory, becomes an important thing to have. It's vital most of the time. Agreed. The base map, however, is mounted and it's, it, you know, it's a normal board. It's clean. It's easy to see everything. I have no qualms whatsoever as far as the, the board itself. The cardboard tiles, other than the the ornate difference between the second and third edition, both are functional and, and fine. I would mm-hmm. say. Now, all of the maps have a similar look and feel. They obviously differ, have different themes, but they're all very clean and non-obtrusive. And that's Age of Steam isn't a game that needs fancy artwork. You don't need no. anything like that. It needs to be plain. You need to be able to see what you're doing. And you need to be able to quickly and easily trace your route. If you're trying to look over the fancy mountains or whatever, you know, that, people, <laughs> so that somebody may have designed because they think it looks pretty... Sure, it, I'm sure it does, but I want to be able to take a glance at the map and trace out my route. I don't want to have to spend 10 minutes trying to figure out exactly where I am where I can go to deliver something. Uh, so, paper money or uh, Martin Wallace money? <laughs> or poker chips. Poker chips. Right. right. All, all, all we ever use is poker chips, but they are there. As far as graphic design, again, very clean. I think it's easy to read. I just, I don't have any issues with uh, outside of the... Plastic trains. Choice. I mean, graphic design-wise, there's no issues at all. Let's talk uh, rulebook. What do y'all think of that? I don't read rulebooks, so I will <laughs> defer to the gentlemen of the podcast. I don't know. It might be skipping ahead to complexity, but since there's no complexity, there's barely any rules. <laughs> so It's a pretty simple game. Yeah, it's very it's very winsome-esque in a, a streamlined low overhead in that respect. I don't think there's there's any issues there. Uh, I found it clear whenever I needed to reference something. Um, I We were taught the game by PC originally, but I did end up going back through the rulebook. And I, I guess I really dig the fact that the generally accepted rule is when there's a question, whatever's meaner or worse for you is the right answer. Exactly. We actually called Chad about whenever we were playing the Scotland map. We couldn't figure out what exactly one thing meant. I can't remember what it was, but we called him and put him on speaker. And he said, well, what's the worst thing that you could do to Amanda? And Edward was like, well, that thing. And he was like, then that's the correct answer. Right on. (laughs) Whatever's meaner. That's the answer. Yep. Always. I I dig that. So fill in the blank, y'all. What makes this game blank rules wise it's honestly kind of light to medium but brain burn wise it's definitely heavy that's my fill in the blank i'll give you a one word answer heavy amanda like you just said the rules are not they're they're light rules does that mean light complexity not at all no it's the complexity doesn't come from the rules okay but we're talking about mechanical complexity rules complexity then 
if we're going that way, then it would probably be medium, rules-wise. Hmm. But once you get past the rules, though, that's because to me, rules complexity is a war game or something crazy where you have to roll dice to determine whether it's raining or snowing. That's complex, <laughs> complex to me. A gigantic thick rule book is complex to me. Age of Steam, the rules is not are not complex. Okay. Agree. Totally agree. I, I, I think there's nothing here that contributes to the weight of the game. But I think Amanda's talking about the planning complexity the forethought the thinking ahead there's so much thinking ahead oh boy organizing activities ah so let's talk pre-game okay look looking at the cubes on the map as well as what's on the goods growth chart see what's likely to come out where and how does that set you up for long run game what does the terrain look like they're high terrain costs or low terrain costs in this map can i isolate an area of cubes to myself for longer deliveries or at worst, force players to use my track and give me free income. Can I cut off another player and beat them to a prime location? Are there any viable routes for a two delivery on the first yes. turn? What are the choke points and do I need to rush to, for them to ensure I don't get cut off? How many shares am I going to need to issue for the first turn and ensure I don't go bankrupt on turn one? And how much can I bid in that first auction? That's all pre-game. Yes. <laughs> This game is the amount of complex of planning is insane. And then let's move into the first turn. How many shares? Am I gonna fight hard in the first auction based on what I saw pre-game in the setup and the layout of the board? Do I go for a low number of shares issued, or do I go just all out and dominate with many shares throughout the game? What's my fallback plan if the auction doesn't go my way? How many players are playing? How do they play? Is this a five or six player map? If so, it's going to be punitive going fifth or sixth oh. as opposed to second mm-hmm. or third. These are all things that you have to take into account every single turn. And that's not even getting into the track lane aspect. It's, and it's all about how do I not go bankrupt in the first turn? <laughs> exactly. Cause or first. I don't want to go watch or, TV yet. I want to yeah, <laughs> right. continue to play. The first several turns, mm-hmm. and even even after that, during the during the middle turns and stuff, you can always uh, move back a spot or two. As far as the planning goes, I would argue that there is more planning in this game than in any other game that we've reviewed. Uh, okay, I can go with yeah. that. The planning is where the game is; it's where the weight is mm-hmm. for me. It's yes. um, it's a fantastic plan. It's a fantastic planning puzzle for me. Totally agree. So luck and randomness. What do you guys got for that, dude? There's dice in this game, and it pisses me off. <laughs> That's what I have. Is that the only luck basically is the drawing of cubes for delivery and reseeding, and the reseeding comes from the rolling of the dice. So I knew that Tony was going to have a problem with the dice. So go ahead, Tony. Yeah. It's purely luck in most maps. The cubes are there, but hey, if a five doesn't get rolled, those cubes are not coming out. It's purely luck. You typically cannot mitigate that luck or modify those dice rolls or anything. That part uh, bugs me sometimes. However, I understand its importance to the design, so I I don't allow it to bother me. I I accept it for what it is, and uh, I mitigate it by doing things on the map so that I hopefully won't get too hosed over by the dice. But the good thing about this is that there are some maps where you don't recede at all ever. So Yeah, or, and there's no dice in some maps. Yeah, so you can have one one map that has a ton of, you know, the dice and a lot of dice rolling and a lot of receding and then 
the next one that you play, you don't even use the dice. I would argue that even one game where you're reseeding a lot and rolling the dice a lot, there might not be much production in this on the same map in a subsequent game. Yeah. So I feel like that the other the other thing that you have very little control over that Amanda hit on a little while ago was whenever you take the production action, you're randomly drawing cubes out of the bag, but then you can at least make the decision of where to place on the goods growth chart as far as, okay, it's going to go into this city or this mm-hmm. city. So at least you have some control over that And respect. there's one map that we played that whenever you choose production, you draw three cubes out of the bag, choose the one that you want to place, and then you can choose which city you want to place that one cube in. So there is some mitigation on some mm-hmm. aspects, and it also depends on the map. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. Yep. And um, I'm good with it, really. It does piss me off, but I'm good with it. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I, because it's my one point of contention. Yes. with the game as well. Because I don't because want of that the kind of that... luck in in a game of this weight. However, I'm, right. I agree to accept it in this case. Yeah, and the fact that the production. The goods growth chart comes preceded, and so you'll be able to see it at the beginning of the game because the cubes that are laid out on the board are random. They vary at the beginning of the game. Same with the goods growth chart. You can at least plan mm-hmm. for those, anticipating that they will come out at some point in the exactly. game. So you at least have a base to go off of. And in our, our Cuba map that we're working on, we actually remove certain numbers of colors of cubes from the game during seeding to actually affect the odds of what colors are out there. So let's go into the game length. Anything to talk about here? It var- No, it varies per map. Well, not only that. It varies per map, per player mm-hmm. count. But either way, I mean, outside of maybe... The one seven-player uh, Netherlands map that we're talking about wanting to play at some point. Yeah. I think it's just it's it's just standard. It's going to be what ninety minutes, the two and a half hours, which that's just a normal right. game. That's. Uh, I feel like that for this game, the amount of time that you're spending playing it is perfect. I haven't had a map where it felt too long. I haven't had one that it felt too short. They all seem. Like Goldilocks, perfect. I've I've had a couple maps that felt too long, but that's only because I was circling the drain. <laughs> <laughs> Please kill me. So, as far as getting it length, what do y'all think here? Do you think that's it, are we talking single game inside of a single game, multiple games? What I think with the simple rules overhead, getting the rules should only take maybe a turn or two but being able to actually play the game well which i've played the game 11 times and i still don't feel like i play it well but being able to play it better than a newbie you're gonna need to be able to see that final scoring because it's such an interesting way of doing scoring yeah you're going to feel you're you're gonna need to understand how to figure out how many shares to take how much to bid. You just you need to get a feel for all of that, and that's going to probably take you about a game. Yeah, and to that I'll add that um, maybe for noobs you want to play the same map a couple of times mm-hmm. so they keep having the same experience. That would help, versus yeah. Versus jumping yeah. them around. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chad, Chad has an interesting uh, variant rule for noobs where – if they do go bankrupt, give them some loans for four bucks a piece. Issue shares for four bucks a piece as just a safety net so they can learn the game and not, you know, go watch television on turn two. Right. Because they're not learning anything yeah. if they do that. Exactly. But yeah, I, I think it's really key to to reiterate what you just said that 
don't jump when you're first starting out or you have new players don't jump map to map to map too quick play it a few and you know a few different times so that it drives home the basics of what Aegis theme is because the get it factor can just it varies by map as well it does because you can feel great playing the rust belt map but you get thrown into soul train or disco inferno you're like what because it's like you ha- you just are learning a new game. All right, so let's get into the meat of this pig. What makes this game enjoyable and why? Dun, dun, dun. I'm first, I'm first, I'm first. It has auctions. <laughs> Yay! This just in, Tony loves auctions. Dude, that auction at the beginning of this of, of each turn, uh, a lot of times it's uh, a pretty benign thing, but many, many times it is just a brutal and mean and fun auction. Mm-hmm. You can wield your power, your money. It's killer. Not only wield power, but you can... There's a big timing aspect on the map. Kevin chimed in, and he said one of the things that he really loves about this is the timing in the auctions to where you might pay $12 in one auction to be able to go first, whereas if you waited one round... Maybe you could have gotten it for $4 the next round as opposed to the 12 that you paid. And that is every dollar lost is a, do- is a, is a sunk cost. You ain't getting that money back. And, and speaking of that auction, the fact that it has that really just brutal aspect to where, hey, congrats, you got second, pay, second place. You pay your full bid. Oh, yeah. So for... <laughs> First and second pay their full bid. Everything else in the middle pays half their bid rounded. You guessed it, not in their favor. And whoever goes last, hey, you're last, but at least you don't have to pay whatever you bid. Some of the maps have cool auction variants like the Montreal Metro where if two players, it's a three-player map. Exactly three. Not two, not eight. It's three. And if two players pass in the auction, they don't get to choose a special action. So it really adds a nice little balance, but it also adds the ability to wield some evil in that auction. I don't think the word cool means what you think it means. Because <laughs> I don't recall you having to not get any actions very often in that game. <laughs> there was once. And there was a couple times for me. One time Chad wielded his money, and one time I wielded my money. But you had a tough time on that map. You I didn't never really ha- have any. I never had any money. <laughs> You kept moving backwards, moving up, moving backwards. it was awful. (laughs) That map was so bad for me. I think it really says something. When all three of the fellas who really wrote extended thoughts on the game, Albin, Chad, and Kevin, all noted all of the same things. That it's so much more than a pickup and delivery game. Brutally tough economic system. Agonizing auctions, like we just talked about, that last the entire game, as opposed to, say, an 18xx game where it has this really cool auction at the beginning... And then those go away. Always fighting for survival and just feeling that never-ending pressure and and knowing that bankruptcy is right around the corner. How important every single decision is in the game. How big a part the timing plays, like I mentioned. And that tension starts from the very first player having to determine how many shares to issue and it doesn't let up one iota until the game ends. No, it really doesn't. So this game suffers no fools. There is no such thing as a trivial decision in Age of Steam. There is an extensive burn of constant decisions. Yeah, fair statement. They are literally constant. You never let up. I also like about it that there, there's not one for sure path to victory and that you there it doesn't matter if you play the same map twice right in a row. It's never going to be the same. 
Ever. You're never going to have the same game play out. There's never, well, I'm going to lay this and then this and then this, obviously. You know, like any some 18xx games can be. Everything from the seeding of the cubes, where they end up, and what's going to be on the goods growth chart, to... Hey, maybe I'm not gonna I'm gonna try this game and not issue many shares. Whereas the next game, maybe I'm just gonna go balls to the wall and try and dominate every single auction, or at least the important ones to me, and shares be damned and just make so much money that I have a big enough cushion built up to where the difference in shares at the end of the game doesn't matter. That variability and everything in between there makes for, I'd say, infinite replayability. I'll, I'll disagree slightly with what Amanda said because uh, many maps will have a pattern to them, but you can never count on that pattern um, in, in whole because of the difference of the cube seating every that's, time. Yeah, that's what I was just about to argue with that. Even if it's normal to want to be able, you know, to be able to, you need to do like this this hex and then this hex and then that that may be true but if they're yeah. the two cities that you're connecting don't have the right colors then as far as right, the cubes go you're not doing that it's like the maps are variations on themes and then each play of a map is a variation on that theme that's valid yeah i like that i love the constant learning new things about the game so kevin said he has over 90 plays of the wow. game and he is constantly learning new things. Quote, I just played a six-player Italy game. I was number four in the random start order when it came to the auction. First player bids two, second player three, third four. There was no way I wanted to bid five or more when I only took one extra share at the start <laughs> when we issued shares. However, passing means I was dead last in a six-player game. And the fifth and sixth player would be able to jump in front of me in turn order for zero. I passed. It turned out I didn't need the second share after all because I passed so early in the auction. But if I wanted to win that auction, maybe I should have taken in another share. Damn, another learning experience. <laughs> you never stop learning in this game. You'll never you'll never be an expert Age of Steam player. Well, I love uh, business slash economic games, and this is a fantastic business slash economic game. Like you said, the relentless economy. Some maps are... Maybe more generous than others, but most of the maps that we've played, they're pretty damn tight. That economy is just ruthless, and you got to run a good business. you got to make good business decisions in this game. And I just, uh, I really, really appreciate that. And to piggyback on that, the theme hits home perfectly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yep. it all makes sense. And some people have a problem with the, oh, you're trying to make the most inefficient route possible but see i don't see it that way i see it as hey if maybe it's a passenger train and instead of it being an inefficient you're picking up fares along the way and so that's why you know where it could have been a one a one link stop all of a sudden it's a four link train because you're making money by picking up more passengers by going through these other towns and cities and it's more than a game it's a game yes. system yes. yeah man you change a small detail and it can change the whole game not to mention the number of maps. There are, at my last count, 171 maps of Age of Steam. They range from 1 to 8 players. More get made every single year. Thanks to guys like Albin and Kevin and the Chads and all of that. Hey, 172 and coming up. Brothers and... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Add Tony's name to that list of the Chads and Kevin. All, all of our names. So my point is, infinite replayability... And it keeps things fresh. It just, it, 
Yeah, that variety. If you don't want to play the same maps, you don't have exactly. to. If you really no. don't like X map, okay, then you have a hundred more. Yeah. What do you want this morning? Raisin Bran? Her Chucks? Flakes. Do it. Let's pull it out. Yep. The variety is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Album VR, when he was talking about how he goes about designing a new Age of Steam map, he thinks of it as an intellectual exercise. You have the background, the things you can't change, the things you might change, and other things you don't know if you can change because they're they're still opaque to you, so you you don't know. But he likes when maps are hard to survive, scarce cubes, yeah. few possibilities, and just like us, as little randomness as possible. You know, he's not a fan of throwing the dice either, so on a lot of his maps... The dice are omitted. And the fact that this game system allows you the flexibility in that design is just mind-blowing. It's a testament to uh, how solid a design it is at Mm -hmm. its core. Yeah. The core of the game is amazing. And it can be, you can build just about anything around it. I mean, I'm honestly kind of surprised that someone hasn't made a map where it's Santa delivering presents. I mean, that seems like... Oh, new idea. (laughs) No. <laughs> As Tony goes and writes that it down, seems like the most I have a four sleigh. Like the most perfect thing ever. Yeah, like that would be perfect. I would love to play that at Christmas time. <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> we have to get some custom white snow tiles. And, yeah. And, yeah. Um, network building. That's one of my favorite mm-hmm. mechanics, and this game's got it. You know, it's I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? I really, I really love trying to connect. what I think the important cities are. You're trying to connect what you think the important cities are. Sometimes we're going to clash. Sometimes uh, one of us will be kind of a jerk and lay tiles in a way to make the other guy have to do some silly upgrades and take longer routes in and more money spent. It's uh, Exactly. It's so tactical. It's so strategic. It's so freaking awesome. What do networks give us? They give us what I think is one of the best ever pickup and delivery implementations i would just talked earlier in this episode about the really crappy implementation of british rails for me the crayon rail games uh, right this this is the opposite of that it's 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 quite abstract quite pronounced in what it delivers to you it's like pick this cube up send it to the, a city of its own color avoid other ones of its color along the way find the longest route make the most money i mean it, it's just boiled down into uh a perfect pick-up-and-deliver mechanic. And just the way it makes key use of these different mechanics, right? The pick-up-and-deliver, the network building, and the auctions. It's just perfectly done, in my opinion. This game is um, one of the most challenging Euro games I've ever been exposed to in all of its forms, all of its different maps. It really, really thrills me. It makes a lot of challenges for my brain, as we've talked about. And I just find that 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 whole package to be very very cool it's a really as we said we're reviewing the age of steam system i feel like more than yeah yeah we're not reviewing different maps we're reviewing the system and i feel that this is if not perfect almost one of the most perfect systems that i've ever experienced cool i'll go with one of the most sure (laughs) i mean what's perfect i don't know but it's certainly right sure sure no i i I was just saying earlier about how the integration of the mechanics here 
I feel is perfect. But no, I to piggyback what you guys said, there is no game out there that has, to my knowledge, more expansions. And the amazing thing about this with these expansions is the low overhead of all of these expansions as far as the rules go. If you have a table full of experienced players, and by experienced I mean a handful of plays under their belt, you can put any single map down in front of them. And usually the differences in the rules are less than a page long, maybe two pages at most. So it takes you 5-10 minutes to get up to speed. You start studying the map, see where the cubes are, see how things play out. And, you know, maybe it takes you a little bit on the first play to be able to figure out, oh, this quirk, okay, this does this differently. Oh, wow, the moon wraps around. That's mind-blowing, da-da-da-da-da. But you know the base game. And the changes, while minimal as far as mechanically minimal, are just the choices and the, the, the landscape that this game would provide with these different maps is just it's amazing i have to give a a tip of the hat to whomever it might be i I assume it's going to be john borer win some games but for allowing all these different designers and wannabe designers to express their creativity in the different maps for this game i i I think that's very uh generous of those of whomever that person is john or or whomever thank you yeah it's without that openness i guess a lot yeah there you go without the openness that this doesn't happen right which is pretty amazing considering the history (laughs) that this game this game has been mired in the fact that there are so many expansion maps out there that are either print and plays or that other publishers have been allowed to to publish it's fantastic not the idea of There not being any expansions makes me so sad. I know. Imagine if you just had to play, like, the eastern U.S. map all the time. That's no good at all. (laughs) In fact, Kevin Kevin said when when he responded to this, he said the thing that keeps him going and why this love affair, and he has 90-plus games, you know, under his belt of this, is the variety of the maps. It keeps everything Mm -hmm. fresh. Hey, just because you're tired of playing this map, you can go and play this map, and it's like you're playing a whole new game, but without having to read and learn a whole new rule set. Yes. You know, I've seen that in War Games and obviously 18xx, and now this game. All right, so... Is there anything that, uh, on the negative side of of the ledger here, folks? Dice. (laughs) i only have one there's sometimes whenever you're completely out of it but you're not bankrupt there sometimes there just isn't anything to do you can't lay any track because you don't have any money you can't move any goods because your track is crap there's there's just nothing to do and that that can leave a bad taste in my mouth that's why i didn't really care for the montreal metro map that Tony, you and I played with Chad on Saturday because I just completely borked myself. (laughs) Yeah. And so I got to just sit there. Does that not motivate you to want to play better next time then? Well, yeah, on one hand, but on the other hand, it makes me not ever want to play that map again. And I I have to, like, it'll it'll take me a little bit of time to want to play it again. Don't think that way. Think uh, think this way. Think that some of these maps could give you a whiff of 18xx in that. Only you won't have to sit there for four hours and die. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's a you know what I mean? Point. Yeah, that's true. You know, experience first, lesson later. So I have a couple of negatives. And one of them probably won't apply to a lot of people. But the first one is the expansions are a blessing and a curse. God help you if you're a completionist. You've been warned. I mentioned there were, what, 171 maps? I think we have we have about 120. And yeah, I it's one of my life goals now to get them all. Yep. So you've been warned. Now, on a serious note, though, the second negative here is a legitimate warning because this almost never happened. This Age of Steam episode almost didn't exist. And the reason for that is I really disliked this mm-hmm. game, my first two plays. Huh. I had no interest in playing it anymore. I was not enthused. I was... Yeah, we were ready to, we were ready to sell the game. We did not like it. The reason being is it is vital to match the player count with the right map. If you play the wrong player count on a map, it can completely ruin the experience for the players. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. There's an awesome spreadsheet out there that not only lists every map known, but also what player count they play and what player count they play well at and sometimes those are two very different things and i would recommend uh we will put it in the show notes that anybody interested to check out that spreadsheet it's it's open source so anybody can uh go in there and mess with it but yeah that's i just i really want to stress that to people that you must play the right map with the right player count other than that that's all i got pretty successful game for our group (laughs) <laughs> pretty <laughs> after those after those first uh, plays i guess then yeah yes so that just goes to show that um something else that alban viard said is he actually said the exact same thing that he was like i wasn't impressed at all after his first couple plays he played it twice but his rule is he plays every game that he plays a minimum of five times wow because he doesn't want to he trusts the designers that they did their work and that they put in their there as he put it i'm confident in the author so imagine if alban viard quit after his second play how many maps would not exist because of that so i think there's something to be said by not judging a game that you didn't like on the first play or two so i just found that interesting. that's very interesting that is cool i don't know that i could play a game i didn't like five times though Man's got some patience. Yes. Hold on. Oh, you're going to. Reef Encounter says hi. (laughs) I'm leaving just in time then. I don't like you anymore, Tony. (laughs) I wanted to take a few minutes and talk specifically about expansion maps. So John Bohr of Winsome Games told us that turning what was Brummy Rails submission into Age of Steam took years of work by the group he has there in Pittsburgh. The large number of Age of Steam expansions from Winsome are largely due to the huge number of different developments in game design work that they did when coming up with Age of Steam. They didn't want to waste all that design and development work, so there you go. That's where all those expansion maps came from, the ones from Winsome Games. It was all from, oh, this was a cool idea. Oh, this was a cool idea. And so there you go. Ted Allspot briefly mentioned that he really enjoyed the four plus years he spent designing Age of Steam and Steam maps, and he was glad to help extend the life of the game and keep it on the ta- on people's tables for so long. However, 
when I asked him, does he have, is there any chance that he goes back and revisits and starts designing Age of Steam maps? I, I fully expected him to say no, because I like making money, but he didn't. <laughs> Alas, he well, he kind of did. He he gave two reasons he doesn't want to go back and design more Age of Steam maps. Number one, he said the demand's not there, i.e. he's not making any money, which I understand. The second thing, and I totally get this, is he says he's played hundreds and hundreds of Age of Steam games, and he burned out. And the last game that he played was over a year ago, and he didn't enjoy it nearly as much as he hoped. That's sad. I, I can't imagine you design anything for if you're not enjoying playing it, right? Right. And that's exactly why I wanted to try to kind of stop and take a break on Saturday because I love this game too much to get burned out on it. And I'm I'm glad you spoke up about that because nothing good comes of burnout, nope, right? Nothing. nothing. So then we get to Album Viard. <laughs> God bless him. He wrote a book. Uh, so I've touched on some of his design theory and stuff that he inspires him and everything else. But then he went and listed the background of every single one of his maps and like why he was inspired to make maps. That's awesome. And he said he loves designing both traditional, you know, with minor tweaks, but he also has some just wacky off the wall design ideas that he also wants to be able to make so i thought i would take a few minutes here and highlight a few of them okay all right i'm excited in 2005 the moon just like for those that are familiar with the sncf or paris connection moon map how the cubes wrap around the moon this one does the same half the cities are black on an odd turn and during the even turn the other part of the map has black cities regardless of what color they are they're black for that turn we played this for the first time last weekend and talk about just a mind screw there was so much cussing going on <laughs> on that game like Damn it! I forgot these were black this turn, <laughs> even though it's right there in front of you. In 2008, Chile, as in the country, not the food. He says you can deliver gold, and for the first time in Age of Steam history, you can pay back shares. Nice. That was pretty cool, I thought. Mm -hmm. In 2009, he came out with the Madagascar map. All the actions that you select, all the special powers, are all negative. They all suck. But you got to take one. Oh, whoa. I'm ready to play that Needless one. Needless to say, we... Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> in 2013, he says, and I'll just read what he said here. He said, I moved my games to another room at home. I found a hundred empty blank boxes that he bought from Ludofax several years earlier to release the Age of Steam boxes from 2008 to 2001 or 11. That triggered an interesting idea to come up with tunnels that he thought might be cool to add. Hey, I have these blank boxes to create mountain between the different parts of the map. So he added tunnel stickers and ergo we have tunnels now for those maps. I love where he got the inspiration. <laughs> I think that's really cool. That's yeah, very awesome. It is. And then that brings us to this year. He says, here you go with the teaser then. All right. Four new maps, as usual, plus two reprints. He says, you may have noticed I've never designed a solo map and I haven't designed a two-player map. Both of those can be checked off the list in 2016. You want to make the revolution? Play my Cuba solo map with the gunpowder action, but hurry up. So that tells me there's kind of a timer in there. And he actually tweeted out a picture of the map earlier this week. I find it interesting that uh, 
us and he doing Cuba. Yeah, that's bizarre. Totally different. Right. He 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 went a solo, we went the opposite direction. And now he says, "You want to play with or against the mafia? How about my Sicily map for a two-player map?" Oh, really? That sounds so cool. It's the motherland. And then he said two weird maps as usual to satisfy the desire of staying unique and original in this world of uniformity. The solar system and the ice pack expansion should satisfy you. Cities are turning around a sun and his graphic design he gave he gives uh his graphic design artist Todd carte blanche and so Todd didn't tell him if it's our sun or a distant sun. He says the ice pack is still melting, so you might want to be careful if you build on it. For the reprint, you have to look at the map released in 2010 todd did an awesome job these reprints will be offered again for the fans who are used to order their maps from me so we'll go from there we'll figure it out but i thought that was that was cool to just see where he gets his inspiration from i I mean a stack of boxes oh hey let's make tunnels (laughs) my brain doesn't function that way And, and mine doesn't either and so i think that's fascinating so so i wanted to say thank you to martin wallace John Bohr, Ted Osback, Albin Viard, and our buddy Kevin McCurdy, and of course Paul Chad Cook for taking the time to help us out with this and to, well, to put us on this path that we've been on that it, uh, of an amazing game that I'm glad we stuck with and I'm glad he kind of forced it on yeah. me in a sense because I was ready to give it up and I'm really, really glad I did. Yeah. So thank you to all of them. Yes, thank you guys. Let's go over our rating scale a little bit. We rate games from one to six, one being it's not me, it's you. We have no interest in ever playing this game again, just light it on fire. Two is it's not you, it's me. We simply just don't like the game. Three, we feel the game is below average. There may be some redeeming feature of mechanic or something, but overall just meh. Four is we feel the game is above average. Mechanically or in gameplay, there's something good going on, and we may even wish to own a copy. Five is terrific, even a great game. We strongly like the game and are likely to own it. Six is a Hall of Fame game potential for us. No brainer, drop what you're doing, run out, and buy it now. All right, so before we we wrap this up, we wanted to kind of touch on a few of our individual favorite maps. Granted, there are probably 50 times more maps than what we've played. Amanda, which map do you want to highlight? I want to highlight Ted Osbach's 1830s Pennsylvania. It plays three to six players, but it's best with four, and that's how we played it. It was me, Tony, Chad, and Matt. The main difference in this game is that there's coal. Coal has one of two benefits. Whenever you're delivering the coal, you can either double the size of your locomotive or double your income. But I will say that does take quite a bit of time to get your track built up in order to be able to deliver the coal because you have to build up over mountainous terrain. But you can use utilize the heavily urbanized eastern area, which basically is where everybody starts, to build up your capital, you know, in order to be able to pay for the trackways in the mountainous regions. So what's cool about it is even if you don't have enough money to build over the mountains, you can at least lay a bit down and that will force other players to utilize your track and allow you to get some free income. And I always enjoy a map that integrates something new and this one being 
being the coal and having the option to either double your loco or double your income is a really interesting aspect. Really the only thing I things I don't like about it are the mountains. It's just it's so hard to get built up over those mountains because they're so expensive to lay on. Basically, you know, it, it sucks if you miss you miss out on huge paydays because you weren't able to make those cold deliveries. And that's what lost me in the game is because I wasn't I was never able to get all, all the way over there to get to the coal. The guys beat me, um, but, but I did have one nice piece of truck that uh, I think it was either Tony, you or Matt had to use in order to deliver your coal. Yeah, it was so me. It was, so I was <laughs> able to get some free income from you doing that. Yeah. But um, out of all of the expansion maps that we played so far while doing prep for the show and everything, this was definitely one of my favorites. Just the addition of the coal is what made it such a cool thing for me. I only play, I've only played it once, but I would rate it a four if we were rating the maps individually. Um, Tony, you played it with me. What did you think about it? I thought it was fantastic. It's definitely one of my favorite maps too. The uh, Yeah, I dug the coal and everything like you did too, but over in the east, the cities are so close together. Mm-hmm. We had one hell of competition over there, laying tracks and cutting each other off and yep. getting into those towns. It was really, really cool. And there's one, one city up at the top of the eastern portion. I can't remember what city it is, but it's surrounded by mountains except for one little hex where you can get out and I grabbed that immediately and built out of it and so I was able to get deliveries going from through there which helped a lot to build up my capital but unfortunately just didn't have enough to get over the mountains but that's okay it's a killer map and I I was busy playing one of the other maps when you guys played that so I didn't get a chance but it sounds hella interesting so sign me up and it's a double-sided map I believe there's yeah, the other Northern side California. is Northern California, which is the reimagining of arguably the hardest map in existence, which is the Bay Area, uh, where bankruptcy is not only common, but anticipated. Wow. And so this is a, uh, Northern California supposedly softens the edges, but just barely. So there's that. And again, that's uh, Ted Allsbox, 1830s, Pennsylvania. Well, the map I want to highlight is Montreal Metro. Not Amanda's current favorite. You are correct, sir. But you should give it another shot. And here's why. It's a Michael Webb design in 2007. It plays exactly three players in exactly nine rounds. And you're building metro routes underneath the city of Montreal. So the map is just uh, terrain and streets and water. You're laying the track under the streets and under the water. And those tracks cost more money than normal track lays. So there's a little bit of variation in um, the amount of expenses one might um, encounter, shall we say in the production of their in the construction of their railroad another neat rule is all of the track must be contiguous doesn't have to extend off of my track i can extend off of amanda's track or chad's track or the, the government, government track. track, right. The government track is a really cool addition to this map. Every player gets a turn. Three players, nine turns. So I'm going to have three chances to extend the government track. And the government track is basically free connections. The other cool thing about the uh, rules in this are that um, the locomotives, they're not your standard one, two, three, four, five, six locomotive. They are, say, for example, a four plus two locomotive. There's this like a two-dimensional chart of locomotive vari- uh, uh, ratings, I guess, where a four plus two locomotive means I can run this locomotive over four player tracks and up to two more tracks if they are government tracks. So basically my four train could be a six train if I utilize some of those government railways. When you're laying those government railways, you do so to your advantage, hopefully, but you're also 
trying to look at really expensive track lays that no one really wants to lay out the cash to do. And the government doesn't have to be efficient either. So you can kind of go a little bit crazy and uh, and make some really interesting track lays. Uh, the three-player auction in this game is pretty incredible. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that if two players pass, they don't get to choose a uh, special action. And uh, that really reared its head a couple of times. One time, Amanda, you and I were talking earlier. One time it was me. One time it was Chad just wielded some money. And the other players didn't get to do a special action. Now, they still got to play, but they didn't get to, say, choose engineer. Or they didn't get to choose anything. So the winner of the auction had their free reign of the actions. It was very, very cool. I really think it's a superb map for three players. This map used to be an out-of-print map, too. So here's Heavy Cardboard reviewing a map that is no longer out of print. It's no longer out of print because the files are available on BGG for print and play. Last night, I printed them out. I have a copy now of Montreal Metro. Prints out really nice, easy to assemble. I encourage every Age of Steam fam, fan out there to print this map and seek out a three-player session on it. It's really, really cool. I'm going to give this map a five rating. Wow. Nice. Montreal Metro. So I'm going to highlight two, but real briefly. One I've already touched on. That was Albin Viard's 2005 The Moon. The fact that half the cities turn black half the game and then the wraparound it is so easy to forget about the whole wraparound that it just it encourages repeated play i i was told maybe it's best at three maybe it's best at four we played it at four Hmm. let me try that again we started the game at four. <laughs> yes. We finished the game with two. That is spectacular. And the reason is two people went bankrupt. Now, Tony went bankrupt a couple of times, right? You guys gave him the mercy rule? No, no. Uh, oh, no. That's right. He worked it out. He did. He almost did. Everybody who played it, even those that went bankrupt, loved the map and had a blast and is anxious to play it again and play it, well frankly better but it'd be hard to play worse <laughs> so yeah that was that was pretty cool the other one that i wanted to mention speaking of just wacky and weird maps this one's ted allspax soul train so this doubles it's soul train on one side disco inferno on the other i think it came out in 2006 way out of print there are copies in the bgg marketplace over overseas so instead of them being cubes their souls and the map is set up to where it's in two halves you have hell on one uh, on the bottom and then you have earth for the other half once there are only 10 souls left in hell you clear off the hell map you score the track and then you physically flip it over and move it to the top part of the map and on the back side is heaven and now you have two turns to move the souls from earth to heaven there are a couple of kickers here if whatever cities are not urbanized so if there are cities you know the a through h cities that are not urbanized during the hell phase, they don't exist in heaven. And so if only two cities get urbanized, that means there's only going to be two colors in heaven. And all those other cubes that everybody, or all those other souls, excuse me, that everybody took time to move up to earth, they're left in purgatory forever. And it's just, it's just such a, a weird theme. And it, but it worked so well. And it was so brutal. We played it five and six players, and somebody went bankrupt every game. <laughs> I wasn't going to point it out. So what do you think of it? You've played it, because Tony has not played I it, I want correct? to. 
I think I lasted around maybe two, so I can't speak to it. <laughs> no clue. It's silly and fun, and because the the hell map is Disco Inferno, all of the city names are funny. So um, that's fun. But I I want to play it again, and hopefully this time make it further than you know, like two rounds. That'd be awesome. Oh jeez, it'd be hard not to, right? <laughs> you what you, you would think, but nah. So as far as ratings, the moon, only one play, but it's going to be in that four to five range as of right now. It's not going to go down. It's going to go higher. And Soul Train, I have a feeling that it's probably going to level out at a four. But right now, man, I sure want to call it a five. I've played it a couple times and it's just, it's just so brutal, which it's just, it's awesome watching the, just how people agonize and how the souls, their souls agonize. through the game (laughs) so that's Albin Viard's The Moon and Ted Allspeck's Soul Train alright so let's put a bow on this thing and start with our summaries I figure I've been leading this whole thing I might as well keep it going so here we go Age of Steam is the type of game that we had in mind when we started this podcast it's hard it's stressful it's mean Every single decision you make has great impact on your results and will directly impact the results of other players positively or hopefully negatively. It's the type of game that when you finally make a single dollar in profit, you can jump up, run around the table yelling, gloating that you're finally in the black. And you know what? In this game, you'd be completely in the right in doing so. Even better, every other player at the table wouldn't blame you one bit. They may not like it, but they'll sit there, if not openly congratulating you for finally being profitable, at least inwardly respecting your achievement. I mean, what the hell is better than that? No, this game isn't for everybody, but it's absolutely the kind of game that has me itching to get it back to the table every time I play it. I now understand what Chad thought and what he felt when he wrote the following. Imagine this scenario. Tony, quote, Those are the rules of Age of Steam. Any questions? Good, let's get started. Chad, how many shares you want to issue? Chad, uh, damn, how many shares should I issue? I already have 10 bucks and two shares. If I build the track I want to build, it'll be seven. If I go up on the locomotive, I'll owe four, so I guess I need one share. Wait, then I'll owe five. But then the auction that I need to participate in. Wait, do I need to? Damn it! Okay, so I settle on issuing two shares, as do the other players. Tony. Chad, start the auction. Chad. Uh, damn. How much do I bid? I can start at one, or should I just start at two? Or maybe just jump right into three and shake off the wheat. But even if I were to win the auction, what action do I want? Why am I even trying to win the auction? I'd love Locomotive because I see a pair of good two deliveries out there, but Urbanize looks tasty too. With Engineer, I could ensure good access to both of those cities over there, but I bet I could drop out early, save some money, and still use first build to get a good location. Maybe? Wash, rinse, repeat for eight rounds. Eight joyously agonizing rounds are you gonna give it a rating it's got to be a six i mean it's it's a hall of fame game for all the reasons i listed above done amanda age of steam simply put is a masterpiece the system that was created here has spawned more expansion maps than i can mention and an enormous fan base now while our group and other friends are most definitely age of steam fanboys and fangirls i truly feel that i'm saying all of this from as non-biased of a place as i can 
It is a wonderful game. If you don't like it the first couple of times, please do yourself a huge favor and try it at least one more time with other people that really enjoy the game and know how to run it properly. It will become a favorite of yours, just like it has mine. This game is a six. It is a Hall of Fame game for me. All right, T, in honor of your last show, bring it home, dude. At my brother's college graduation, his teacher got up and said, have fun, and then walked off. That was the speech. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was lame. Um, So, Age of Steam. This game has many of the elements that make train games a favorite genre of mine. It's a game system. A game system has a common core set of rules with scenario-specific variations, that might include geography, rules, etc. A person familiar with the core rules can easily learn almost any scenario. This is a game system. 18xx, I think, is a game system. War games, many of those are game systems. Because it's a game system, it has variety. It has an enormous number of official and unofficial maps, special rules, better player counts, etc. And game systems, because of that variety, or maybe the variety is due to this, creativity. They just inspire creativity. Some of the fan maps, the Disco Inferno you guys talk about, Soul Train, Zombie Apocalypse. I mean, you can go nuts. Some kind of ice flow crap all by Henry Yard is talking about. I mean, the creativity is unlimited. It inspired me to create a map, 1842 Cuba. I think that inspiration rubbed off on you, Edward. You're like, I'm in. Let's do it. You're now developing this map with me. That inspiration, that creativity is fantastic. From a mechanism standpoint, I appreciate the auctions. Everybody listening knows that I slash we love auctions. The auction in Age of Steam is quite good, quite tense, quite impactful on the game. It's got network building. The competitive track laying is phenomenal. Even when I don't have immediate competition... It's important to determine the best build routes based on the cube deliveries, right? It's got pick up and deliver, which is an excellent mechanic when properly implemented, in my opinion. In my own head, I view the cubes that I deliver as delivery contracts because the income from them is basically persistent. It's not like I deliver this, I get four bucks, and I go spend that four bucks. I deliver this, I get four income points, and that four income points essentially stays there, and I earn it for the rest of the game. So to me, that's like a contract. It's a business and economic game. You have to make those deliveries. You have to serve those contracts to keep your income going up, or you're out of business, man. Or Amanda, no offense, you're going to wish you had gone out of business, right? This game does not have victory points, sort of, kind of. It, it has your your business um, efficiency is your victory points. To me, it's kind of a abstracted book value. The book value of my business are my victory points. How profitable was I? How much track did I get laid during the game? That's how I determine if I'm first, second, third, fourth, fifth place, whatever. Obviously, the game is very challenging to me. All the different maps, the overall economy in the game for many of those maps. You got to beat your opponents to the best routes. You got to develop your your locomotives to deliver farther and farther and farther. In our 18xx episode, I said that 18xx games have both depth and current. I do think Age of Steam has fewer currents than 18xx titles, but like 18xx titles, Age of Steam does have multiple currents. The first current pulls you into the continuing need for money and the increased expenses you incur as you build your railroad business starting at the very beginning of the game. Later in the game, 
you switch into another current. When paying your bills is no longer a primary concern, it's still a, it's still a problem for you, but you've kind of crossed that hurdle. Now you drive the current. Now you make deliveries that put the pressure on your opponents to keep up with your pace. You're setting the pace. You're setting the current. If you don't keep up, you're toast. Long time ago, I bought Steam. Ever since I've played Age of Steam, I harvested the discs from Steam and threw that game on the scrap heap, man. Age of Steam is exactly what I was looking for in a tough, fun train game that's not an 18xx game. And this is no question from my mind, a six rating Hall of Fame game. Age of Steam, baby. Heavy Cardboard thanks the great people at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of our show. They have an awesome reputation and a fantastic inventory of games. Their tagline is the home of great games at great prices. So check them out at www.gamesurplus.com. You could reach them via email at games at gamesurplus.com and tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com. We love to hear from you guys, so please send us email or follow us on Twitter at heavycardboard. Our Facebook page is heavycardboard. Our Instagram is heavycardboard. And our BGG guild number is 2044. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. Edward, Amanda, it's been a pleasure to be a part of Heavy Cardboard. Uh, I will definitely miss it, and um, I wish you guys both the best. I'm always, I will always be a friend of Heavy Cardboard, so uh, feel free to count on me for whatever I can possibly do for you guys. Love this community too. You will be missed, but it's not like you're dying. No, you are. You you have committed, provided we hit certain goals on our uh, <laughs> on our Patreon, so that we can afford you to come back a few times a year. So it's not like you're never going to be around, and it's not like we're not going to game regularly anyway. We will just mention his name instead of his voice. That's right. That'll just be right. his name now. I say to you and all listeners, Ludus Ponderosum. So I just want to say thanks, dude. We we started this thing uh, a little less than two years ago, and honestly, never anticipated, never thought it would get to be where it has. I know. And, I mean, onward and upward. You know, we've always said that's great, but you're gonna be missed, dude. This is uh, this is probably the most sad I've been uh, regarding since you since you told me that on. Over dinner one night uh, Wednesday a couple of months ago. Because even then, I was more shocked, number one. Although I knew it was coming at some point. I just didn't expect it when it did. So I was a little bit shocked. And I was I was more, okay, where do we go from here? But now that I've had a couple months and we've prepared for this. And we've, I feel like, left heavy cardboard in good hands. Oh, yeah. You guys are going to rock even it. Even though Amanda is not going to try and replace you. She's going to be Amanda. Right. It's going to be hard without you here. Nah. We'll manage. No, no, no. We'll manage. Nah, but you're going to be missed, man. It's Dio so... and Ozzy, man. Two great bands. Two great incarnations <laughs> of Oz, of uh, Black Sabbath. <laughs> so I just wanted to say, brother, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on this ride with me. It's meant a lot, and it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my entire life. And thanks for being a part of that. Uh, no problem. Love you guys. We love you. Love
much obliged Such a pleasant stay But now it's time for me to go The autumn moonlight's my way But now I smell the rain And with it came And it's heading my way Sometimes I grow so tired Oh. 